You are listening to The Gateway Church, located in Ferrisburg, Michigan. You can learn more about us by visiting thegateway.church or like and follow us on Facebook, where you can watch full services, keep up with all that is going on, and get connected. It's just an honor to be here to represent missions, to represent my family, and uh, this church, just to have a heart for missions in times like these. It would be very easy to be self-centered and self-consumed in moments like this, to just think about what we need for ourselves. But I just want to just commend you today for looking beyond yourselves in times like these and realizing the kingdom of God doesn't stop just because there's difficulty. There's still work to be done. So I want to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 4 today, if you have your Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. I want you to notice that salvation is not initiated from our side. It is not initiated with our effort. Salvation begins with God's work in us, not our work towards God. We are here today because God made his light shine in our hearts. When we were in darkness, when we did not know him, when we were away, it is God who is constantly trying to draw us to himself. I always laugh when people tell me about the day they found Jesus. That makes it sound like he was lost and wandering in the woods and we had to set up a search party to go and find him because he got lost. And I can promise you, Jesus has never been lost. (laughs) You did not find God. But when you were lost, he set out searching for you. He set out to bring you to himself. And I know that because I was one of those lost ones. When I was 20 years old, I was an alcoholic. I did not grow up in a church family. I did not grow up to know God. When I was a young man, one morning my mom made me breakfast. I left the house. I came home and she was gone. She had left. Uh, A few months later, my father met somebody else and my, my father left. And as a young man, I was so filled with rage and anger and bitterness that I turned to drugs to just kind of drown it out. I, I started drinking, and all of that turned me into uh, to, to rage and anger, and I acted out, and I was constantly in trouble, and I was 20 years old, and I'll never forget, I was driving home from a bar. It was about 2 o'clock on a Sunday morning. I'm driving home, and I'm thinking to myself, what's the point? What's the purpose? What is the use? And in that moment, I didn't see anything. I didn't hear anything. But I can tell you, he came close to me in that moment. He made his light shine in my heart. And it set something in my spirit to seek after truth. I ended up at an altar. I called on the name of the Lord. His light shined in my heart. And in an instant, I walked from darkness into light. I was 20 years old. From that moment, I never touched alcohol again. I never touched drugs again. God revolutionized my life. And for 32 years, I have now walked with the God of miracles. I have walked because he made his light shine in my heart. When I was in darkness, he made his light shine in my heart. I went to Bible school because my pastor, he sat me down one day and said, you need to go to Bible school. And I said, why is that? He said, God called you to preach. I said, well, I didn't know that. So usually you'll find the call of God through good people around you. Just listen. (laughs) 
to good people around you, and you'll find out what God's calling you to do. And he said, you need to go to Bible school. I said, what's that? He said, well, that's where they teach you the Bible. They teach you how to preach. And I said, I need to know how to do that. So he puts me in a church van. He takes me to an Assembly of God Bible school and drops me off, and I start Bible school. My first year of Bible school, I had a class with a retired missionary to India, and she started telling me stories about India one day in class. One billion people who've never heard the gospel 500,000 villages where there's not one church. Most of you, in order to get to church today, you had to drive by a couple of churches. Imagine being in a village of 100,000 people and never having an opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, never seeing a church, never hearing the name of Jesus. And I went up to her after class and I said, this can't be right. I said, I've been saved less than a year, but I can tell you that Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all people. He told us to make disciples of all nations. How could it be that 2,000 years later we failed so miserably? This, this can't be right. And she said, I agree with you. It's not right. I said, somebody needs to do something about it. She said, I agree with you. I said, well, how about me? She said, how about you? I said, I'm ready. Send me. I'll go. She said, I don't have any money. I said, well, introduce me to somebody with money. There was a missionary on campus. His name was David Grant. Helped buy me a ticket to India, and I've been there ever since. I don't even understand the mentality of people who pray prayers to God saying, God, please don't. God, please don't send me to Africa. God, please don't make me be a missionary. God, please don't make me preach. I don't even understand the mentality. Since the day I was saved, I, I felt like a little kid standing on the side of the basketball court, too short and too slow, but saying, ooh, pick me. <laughs> As coming from an alcoholic, from an alcoholic family. Abandoned. I was not a pastor, nor the son of a pastor, but he called me. I can tell you it's a privilege to be a servant of Jesus. And you should be standing up every day with your hand raised to God saying, God, please pick me. <laughs> God, please pick me. God, please let me do something for you. There should be something inside. And I can tell you the light of Christ that was shining in my heart, I have seen that light shine all over the world. I was walking up to a village not long ago, and I'm coming and it started raining, and I'm just slogging through the rain up in the hills, and it's cold outside. And I come into this village, and I was obviously loud enough. A guy comes and opens his door, and he says, what are you doing out here in the rain? Come on inside my house. I just, I, I never cease to amaze me, the hospitality of India. Just people, a man I've never met, just out of nowhere, he just comes up and says, hey, come on into my house. We don't even invite friends from church to our house. And these people invite a stranger. They never, hey, come on in my house. And so I walk in the house. There's no furniture. It's just a mud floor, and there's a fire. And he, and he kicks the kids out of the way, and he sits me down next to the fire so I can start warming up. And he said, you look like you need some tea. And he starts making me tea. I never even met him before. And he's sitting there, and I'm starting to warm up a little bit. And I'm sitting around the fire, and he's making tea. And I ask him, I said, I said, hey, have you ever heard the name of Jesus? And he almost dropped the teapot. He said, I used to have his book. He said, I went to the town years ago, and somebody handed me a book with stories about a man named Jesus, and then when I brought it home, somebody stole it. And so, no, I used to have his book, but I'd love to hear more of his stories. And so I started sharing with him stories of Christ. 
And as we're sharing, I shared about the life of Christ, all he did. I started sharing about the miracles that he did. And he said, is he still alive today? Does he still do it? And I said, yes, he's still alive, and he still does it. He said, my wife is sick. I didn't even notice his wife. She's curled up in the corner. It looked like just a ball of clothes in the corner of the room. She's curled up in the corner. He said, my wife's sick. She hasn't been able to get up in weeks now, and uh, she's very sick, and we're afraid she's going to die. Would you, uh, would you please ask Jesus to touch my wife? So we go over and we pray for his wife. And after that, we drink our tea. And I told him, I said, listen, I've got to come back this way tomorrow. The people in the next village, they've asked me to come and share. They have his book. I'm going to bring one of his books back for you tomorrow. So you just wait. I'll be back tomorrow. So, so I get back in the rain, run up the hill. And a couple of hours later, I get to the village. I share with them all night. In the morning, I get up and I get a Bible from him, come back down. And as I'm walking into the village the next morning, he comes out and he starts waving his hands. And I notice there's a lady next to him, next to him his wife. And he said, he did it. He healed my wife last night. We sat with him in his house, and he called on the name of Jesus. The light penetrated. Darkness called on the name of Jesus. And I've seen this happen hundreds and hundreds and thousands of times around the world that Jesus Christ makes his light shine, and he makes his light shine through us. He uses us. God doesn't use angels much anymore. He uses us. And sometimes I wish he would use angels. It would be far more effective in my opinion. Because we're unreliable. <laughs> I mean, if he would just send an angel over our city and just blow a trumpet and say, Hey, Jesus is Lord, repent. It seems a lot more effective than using people like us. But why would Jesus use us? It's because he loves us. And as a good father, he wants his children to know he loves them, that they're valuable. Have you ever had your son come up to you and ask to help while you're working? I can remember times my little son's five years old, toddle up to me, and I'm working on the car and say, Dad, can I help? What's the answer to that question? No, you can't help. You're going to make me take twice as long, and no, you can't help. But what do I actually say? Absolutely, you can help. Because I want my son to feel valuable. I want him to be involved. So even though he slows me down, even though it takes more time, I want my son to learn. I want him to feel a part of the family. So I let him help even when he's of no help. And praise the Lord, we are of no help to God. God doesn't need anything from us, but he treats us like sons and daughters and allows us to be a part even when we're ineffective, even when we're unfaithful. He continues to allow us to be a part. And that is the privilege that all of us have. It's a privilege. But whenever you hear something good, there's almost always a but, right? <laughs> there's almost always something that stands in the way. Verse 7, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. This light, this glory, it lives inside of us, but it lives inside of a jar of clay. It's not a brass jar. It's not a, a bejeweled cup. It is not a stainless steel that can't be broken. It is clay. It is easily broken. It is easily shattered. So this glory lives in our weakness. This power lives in our inability. So, how does God show His light through us? We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, 
but not destroyed. How many of you in the last few months have felt moments of being hard-pressed, of being perplexed, of feeling persecuted, of being struck down? Know this, God is treating you like his son. You know, sometimes we hear the word, God has adopted us and treats us like sons and daughters, and that just brings a smile to your face until you realize how he treated his son. Until you realize how he treated his only begotten son. That God loved the world so much that he allowed his son to walk through suffering so that you and I could enter into life. That he allowed his son to be pressed to be perplexed, to be persecuted, to be struck down so that you and I could enter into life. And the same God who loved us so much that He would allow His Son to enter a road of difficulty so that we could enter the road of life. The same God allows us today to walk that path so that others can experience life. Verse 10, we always, say with me always, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always, say it again, always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be also revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. So how is it that 2,000 years after the death of Christ, 2,000 years after Jesus said, go into all the world, preach the gospel to all people, 2,000 years after Jesus said, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, 2,000 years after he said, you're going to receive power and be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the ends of the world. How is it possible that 2,000 years later, one-third of humanity has yet to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's only possible because we do not always carry in our body the death of Christ. We do it sometimes. Sometimes we go on mission trips. Sometimes we have a missions convention. Sometimes we get excited and tell our neighbor. Sometimes we do it, but then other times our mind drifts. Our mind wanders. We, we get focused on the job, on the career, on the, the games, on the activities. We get focused on other things. And so remember this, communion was for the purpose of remembering. You see, when we remember Jesus, people live. When we forget Jesus, people die. When we die to ourselves, people live. When we live for ourselves, people are going to die. And the reason that so many people around the world today are dying without a chance to know Jesus is because we in the church are living for ourselves. We are not constantly carrying in our body the death of Christ so that they can experience the life of Christ. And I know this is hard. I was just thinking as I was sitting today, the last time I was with you was 2007. We went to India uh, in uh, 1991 the first time. In 2006, I clearly felt the Lord speak to me to go to Laos. So I, I finished up, and in 2007, we got ready. We came back to the States to get everything ready. In 2007, we headed off to Laos. And during that time, my middle son, who is now 19, he was five at the, at the time, he was diagnosed with autism. It was a crushing blow. I mean, we're headed to a backwards country 
into a backward place of a backward country where there's no schools, there's no education. My wife is going to homeschool our boys, and now we've just found out our five-year-old son has autism. He also has extreme learning disabilities. And uh, I'll never forget the doctor sitting with us saying, hey, you can't take your son. You can't do it. If you stay here, we have schools, we have teachers, we have professionals. We can help you to help your son to be adjusted into society. But if you take your son, there's no hope for your son. You cannot take your son to a place like that. And I can remember my wife and I grieving over the decision. For months, we grieved over this. How, how can we do this to our son? How can we trust God in a moment like this? And I can vividly remember one day sitting around a table and looking at the bread and remembering God, you gave your son his body to be broken. God, you gave your son to shed his life. Who am I to hold my son back from you? I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust that you love my family more than I love my family. I'm going to trust that your plans are better than my plans. I'm going to trust you, Lord. And so we went to Laos. And uh, two years later, we found out the doctors were right. Our son had uh, progressed into a dark space. He didn't communicate much anymore. He, uh, he had desperate challenges in his life. And we started praying. We were so broken. We just said, God, we're willing to die for you. But, uh, but God, I, it's so hard watching my son suffer. I need to know that you're in this. I need to know that something is going to come out of this. God, I need to know that you're in this. One of our leaders came at the time and said, hey, why don't you do this? Why don't you move over to Thailand? They've got good schools, and you can go back and forth. And I said, if I'm going to be disobedient to God, I'm going home. I'm not going to Thailand. I'm going home. Either God's in it or he's not in it, and we're going to figure this out. And so one day, my wife and I knelt down. My wife, every night, would cry herself to sleep. She said, we're losing our son. And one night, we knelt down, and we just said, God, we're putting this fleece before you. Do you want us here or not? What do you want us to do, Lord? And in that moment, we felt like the Lord saying, hold on. Two weeks later, I got an email from a young lady. She said, I'm writing to you. I, I don't even know why I'm writing to you. She said, my husband and I have felt for the last year we're supposed to come to Laos and serve, but it just makes no sense. We're not missionaries. We're not teachers. We haven't been to Bible school. I don't know how we can help you. She said, but, but just here's who are my, my husband's uh, engineer. I don't know if he could help you guys with design, do something. I don't know. And she said, and I'm a special ed teacher. I've been teaching autistic children the last three years. And if you'd allow me, I'd love to come and serve your family however I can. My son has now had 12 years of one-on-one -on -one attention. This lady was with us for four years. Another lady has come who's still with us today. And we have had now 12 years of one-on-one -on -one attention for our son. And today, he goes to church. He interacts with people. He loves Jesus today. He's able to do school today. He has life today. Because when you remember Jesus, people live. But not only that, we went to an area where there was no church and today, I know of over 2,000 people that are in faith in that area today. There are churches in that area today because when you die to yourself, people live. But when you live for yourself, people are going to die. It's just that easy.
when we put ourselves at the center of the equation, people are going to die. Will we carry in ourselves the death of Christ so that others can experience the life of Christ? Will we carry around this perplexity of, God, why? I don't understand. You're going to face those situations. But I want to tell you, Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth it. Jesus deserves the reward of his sacrifice. Jesus died for every tribe, for every tongue, for every people, every nation. He died for all, and he deserves the reward of that payment. He deserves it. Verse 15. All this is for your benefit. That doesn't sound beneficial, does it? But all this is for your benefit. How? So that the grace that is reaching more and more people. Everybody say, more and more people. More and more people in China. More and more people in Michigan. More and more people in Europe. More and more people in Africa. More and more people in India. Because we have entered in and allowed God to press us. Because we have entered into the perplexity of life. Because we've been persecuted. Because we've been struck down. This glory that is in us is then broken and shines so that others can see it. As long as you're intact, no one can see what's in you. But when you're broken, that light shines forth. My son loves to climb rocks. I do whatever my son loves. So I climb rocks. And so now you see that. You see that. This is just the last week's activity. I carry in my body <laughs> signs of my love for my son. Because <laughs> I love my son, I do what my son likes to do. And he likes to climb rocks. So I go out and I climb rocks. I carry in my body. I carry it with me. Do we carry within us the signs of our love for God? Do we carry within us the marks of our dedication to Christ? That Jesus, whatever it takes. Jesus, wherever you send me. Jesus, whatever I have to give. However long I have to pray. Wherever I have to go. Jesus, my life belongs to you. I, I carry it every day. I carry that mark every day of Jesus, whatever you desire to do. For the purpose of what? That may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. You know, there is a, a false theology that is run through the church. And it is this, that the chief end of life is the happiness of man. The chief end of living is our happiness, is our joy. The chief end of living is my prosperity. It's all about what God wants. We have created a man-centered gospel, that the gospel is about what God wants to do for me. And it creates a selfishness in the church. It creates a self-centeredness in the church. In the old days, they created what were called catechisms, and they were ways to teach illiterate people what, uh, what the Bible teaches. And one of the earliest catechisms, the Westminster Catechism, it starts with this. It's always a question and an answer. What is the chief end of life? And the answer to that question, the chief end of life, is to glorify God. The chief end of life 
is to glorify God. The chief end of your life, the chief end you were created, the chief end you are here on this earth is to bring glory to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus is chiefly glorified when his name is lifted up among all people. When we go out and do the work of God, we enter in to the work with Christ that Jesus said, as the Father sent me, now I am sending you. And what was Jesus sent to do? To seek out and to save the lost. And in walking in his purpose, in walking in mission with him, Jesus Christ is glorified. If you are not hard-pressed, if you are not perplexed, if you never face seasons of persecution, if you are not struck down, it is because you are not walking in mission with Christ. Because if you walk in mission with Christ, you will face the death of Christ so that others can experience the life of Christ. But if you live your life for your own happiness, for your own benefit, people will continue to die without the hope of Christ. Let me tell you, it's not enough to give 10% to Jesus and feel like all the rest is for you. Give 10% to Jesus and I can put all the rest of it into a new boat, a new car, a new house and feel completely at ease that I've done my part while others die without ever hearing the name of Jesus for the very first time. If we don't always carry in our body the death of Christ, people will continue to die without Christ. When we live for ourselves, people die. When we die to ourselves, people live. It is all for the glory of God. Therefore, verse 16, we do not lose heart through these difficulties. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles. I want you to take notice that Paul is writing this, who would later go on to say, five times I was beaten with 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with iron rods. I was shipwrecked three times. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. He was in prison most of his adult life. He said, I was in danger in the forest. I was in danger on the road. I was in danger at the sea. I was in danger in the city. I was in danger in the village. I was in danger from the Jews. I was in danger from the Gentiles. Most of his life was filled with danger. And yet, looking back at his life in the scope of the glory that God was showing him, he could say, these light and momentary troubles. Man, this is nothing. This is nothing. So whatever light and momentary troubles Paul was going through, I can promise you what you and I endure is nothing compared to the glory that God is going to be revealed in us. I can promise you that walking through the perplexity of dealing with a special needs child, I can tell you walking through persecution of being in prison for the sake of the gospel, I can tell you with a surety that seeing people struck down, I have baptized men who gave their life for the gospel. I have baptized men and women who today sit in prison cells because of their commitment to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I can promise you that even when you are struck down, even when you are perplexed, even when you are pressed to within an inch of your life, I can promise you it is not worthy to be compared with the glory which will be revealed in us. That God 
desires to reveal his glory through you. But it's going to require pressing. Are you willing to walk into the pressing? Are you willing to walk into seasons of perplexity? Are you willing to walk into seasons of being struck down so that others can see the glory of Christ? There is a world that is waiting on Jesus. There are a few ways that we always do this. We do it with our energy and our time. What are you giving your time to? What are you giving your energy to? We do it with our money. Remember that where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. There is something powerful about a faith promise offering. There's something powerful about giving that says, this is where my heart is. I once heard a minister say that if you want to know where somebody's heart is, just go open up their checkbook. Well, we don't use checks anymore. So now you just have to go and look at their credit card statement. <laughs> and you'll find out where a person's heart is. And there's a whole lot of people that their heart resides at Burger King. <laughs> their heart resides at the mall. <laughs> their heart resides on a golf course. Their heart resides on a boat. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And there's something powerful about saying, God, my heart is on mission with you. My heart is on missions for you. And it's not a matter of words we speak. It's about where do we put our treasure. I'm honored that Jesus has called me to go. Maybe some of you don't get that honor. I pity you that you don't get to go and live in India with me. I pity you. I'm the blessed one. I'm not the hero. I'm the blessed one. But I thank you for allowing me to fulfill the call of God. Thank you for investing so that we can go and do what God has called us to do. But I want to encourage you, put your heart in the right place. And you're going to see not only God change the nations, but you're going to see God begin to change your city. Because when your heart is in the right place, things start to happen. Not only there, it happens here with neighbors and family and friends coming to know Jesus. That the light begins to shine when we are broken, that God shines his light. So I want to encourage you today, enter in so that God can show his glory. It doesn't always happen fast. I'll close with this. I went up into this village area one time, and I was preaching. I had, a, I had five or six young Indian men with me, and we're preaching in the village. And, uh, and you probably haven't ever seen this, but sometimes just small preaching events turn into riots. And so we're in a village, and we start preaching. Next thing I know, rocks start flying, and shoes start flying, and fists start flying. And, uh, and I know you've all sang songs, I will not be afraid, but it's just because you hadn't been in the right place yet. It's easy to not be afraid sitting in church, but, uh, but we're afraid, and we start running <laughs> fast, <laughs> and we go running down the hill, and they're chasing us down the hill, and rocks are flying, coming by our heads, and uh, we go running across this bridge, and they stopped at the edge of the bridge, so when we got across, we stopped, and we're kind of gathering ourselves, look, where's the blood coming from? Are we all okay? We're checking each other's heads all out, and is everybody okay? And, and while we're standing there, we looked across, and the elders, you could see them sending the kids back up in the village, and they start running the village. They start bringing out all the Bibles and gospel literature we had given away. They built a fire, and they started burning it all. They were ripping it up, burning these Bibles, and my heart was just crushed. 
I'll never forget this little boy. He's probably only about nine years old. He came to the edge of the river. So it's a decent distance and the river's flowing. So you can't hear anything because the river's kind of rushing. And he stands and he points his finger at me and he just starts, you know, I, I could just see he's just cursing me and he's just, you know, just he's, he's giving it to me. And there was an elder that was standing behind him. He's got his shoulders, hands on his shoulders, and he's like very proud of him. So finally he pats him on the back, and the elder walks away. And the little boy's just standing there, and he's just looking at me. He's just, we're having a stare down. And then he, he looks over his shoulder to see if anybody's there. And he looked over his other shoulder. And then he opened up his jacket, and he had another Bible in his pocket. And he winks at me and goes running back in the village. You just never know what God's up to me. And that had always given me hope for that area. So we kept praying for that area. 20 years later, now we have a Bible school in the hills for young men and women that are getting saved. And, and every year, first day of Bible school, I always go and meet the new students, ask them who they are, where they're from, how they met Jesus. And so, so this young man, I come up to him, I said, what's your name? He said, my name is Yabez. And I said, uh, where are you from, Yabez? And he said, I'm from the Harkidun, which is that area. I said, that's that's amazing. I said, 20 years ago, I was there preaching. How'd you come to the Lord? He said, uh, my family arranged a marriage with this woman from another valley, and she had heard about Jesus. And so when we got married, uh, we had some sickness in our family, and she said, well, let's pray to Jesus. We prayed, and, and God did it. And so we decided we wanted to serve Jesus, and, and we don't know how to serve him. We want others to know him. So we came looking, and somebody told us you had a school where they could teach us more. So, so we're here because we want to know Jesus more. So for a year, they're in the Bible school. We prayed every day. We studied the Bible every day. And then we sent them back to go back and to be, live out the life of Christ, to be the very first believers in their village. And he'd send word back every once in a while of persecution, being pressed. They tried to throw him out of the village, just difficulties he was facing. About a year later, I went to visit him just to encourage him because all these things are happening. And I get there, and he, and he takes me up. We go up on a walk up to the highest point in the valley. And you can look down. There's 20 villages in this valley. And I said, well, what's God doing? I said, uh, is there anybody else serving Jesus today? Is it still just you and your wife? What's happening? And he looked out across the valley, and he said, well, you see this village over here? And you see that village? He said, those are the only two villages now that we don't have groups of believers gathering together daily, worshiping the Lord. Let me tell you, there's a purpose to the pressing. There's a purpose that God is breaking these vessels so that his light can shine out. God doesn't show his power through our strength. God shows his power through our weakness. God doesn't need you to be stronger so that he can do more. He needs you to be broken so he can show his power through you. Will we enter in? to the brokenness of God so that others can experience the life of God. Would you just lift both your hands with me as a sign of surrender to the Lord? Lord Jesus, we give our lives to you. Lord, we sit here with our hands raised as a sign of surrender to you. And we say to you, my life is not my own. Take with me and do with me whatever you would do, Lord. Lord, all the wealth that you have given me, it's not my own, it's yours. All the time that you give me, all the energy, the talents, Lord, it all belongs to you. And I determine from this day to always carry 
When I go to work tomorrow morning, when I, when I go to school tomorrow, when I'm in my neighborhood, when I'm in the gym and every activity that I do, I am determined, Lord, to always carry in my body your death so that your life would be revealed here and around the world. And God, if you would, here we are, Lord God, take us and use us, send us, Lord God, to the ends of the earth, to those who have never heard. And if we can't go, Lord, can we be someone to invest so that others can go, so that your name would be glorified so that you would receive the reward of your sacrifice. So Lord, we offer ourselves to you today. Here we are. Take us and use us to make your name famous to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thanks, Joe. What a blessing to be able to hear a challenge like today, to hear stories that move our hearts. And I believe that as the Lord continues to favor the Gateway Church, uh, we've said this before, but I just want to say it again, that there will be missionaries that will be uh, coming out of our midst that we will be sending, and our best days for missions are ahead. I want to explain how missions works here at the Gateway Church. It's uh, quite simple. Uh, the church gives a tithe to missions, that funds missionary expenses to get a missionary like this to come. It funds missions uh, opportunities overseas to do special projects. It helps missionaries, you guys, to go. Anytime a missionary leaves on a short-term trip or even a long-term trip, we will help missionaries go, students go, things like that. And uh, that's important. So that's the 10% side then there's another side, we call it faith promise giving. And 100% of our faith promise giving supports the missionaries that we support monthly. We have, I mentioned earlier, over 120 missionaries that we support monthly. And that comes from faith promise giving straight from the hearts of the people, straight from your wallets and our wallets uh, to, and, and not, the Gateway Church does not keep one penny of faith promise giving. It is funneled directly to our missionaries. And our missions, faith promise giving has increased over the years. It's been incredible. The hearts of people have given. When I first came, I was telling Joe that we, we supported three missionaries. 14 years ago, October 2006, when my family, we moved to West Michigan. And we've seen it grow and blossom. But we don't think we're finished. We have dreams that we'll hit 200 or more missionaries within the next few years. We believe that that's part of our, the trajectory that we're on. And it comes through people having a heart that above and beyond their tithe, they give a faith promise commitment. It's not a pledge like we're going to come after you if, if it doesn't come in. Really, a faith promise commitment is saying, Lord, if you can get the funds to me, you can get it through me. And I'll tell you, in, uh, over the next couple weeks, we'll share stories but, uh, of how faith promise giving has been a blessing personally and then corporately. I've been giving a faith promise ever since I was a student. I remember the very first faith promise I, I gave. Uh, 
Pastor Rick Pasquale, uh, Rick Pasquale uh, came to my youth group, and he had Big Mac sandwiches, and he talked about a $2 sandwich. He said, if you could give this up once a week, you could give over $100 to missions. And I remember thinking, I was like 12 or 13 years old, and I thought, you know what? I can do twice that. And I was just bold enough. And I, I said, all right, I'll do $4 a week, over $200 to missions. And I've never stopped giving faith promises since. You know, when we do this and we do it corporately, supernatural things happen. When you say, God, if you can get it to me, you can get it through me. So what we're going to do Today was supposed to be the final day that we're receiving these, but because of the last two weeks being off and we didn't get these in your hands two weeks ago, and we did mail them to you um, so you could prepare, you might be prepared today to make a faith promise. But the way it works is you ask the Lord, Lord, what would you have me to give? And I said first service, uh, this goes for students like Anna, 16 years old, to, sorry, Greg. The older folks. <laughs> Everyone, we ask you to make, so if you are called this church your home, and I understand we have guests and things, and some of you are newer, but listen, if you become, you know, ingrained in what we're doing, this is part of our DNA. We give faith promises above and beyond our tithes, and it's just the way we live, and so we want you to say, Lord, what would you have me to do? What would you have me to do? And then once the Lord speaks to you, it could happen today. Certainly you want to talk with your spouse. And maybe this is a new idea. We do have resources on the Connection Center. We sent these home that talk about faith, promise, giving. It's a little brochure. Get your mind around the idea if this is a newer idea to you. But then what you do is you fill out the one side and then you keep the other side as a reminder, you put it where you do your devotions. Maybe you put it on the fridge or you, you put it in your wallet and you pray over that because sometimes a faith promise is, it'll blow your mind when the, God gives you a number to, to write down. And, and then you fill out this other part, weekly giving or a monthly gift. Sometimes people will put a yearly amount that the Lord has put on their heart. And then it says, you fill it out. It gets, is this a new commitment or a renewed commitment? That's important. And then you sign it. And it's not a signature saying, hey, we're going to come after you. We, we, we add these up, and then we destroy them. If these are not for us. We're not coming back. But we, we do that, and we destroy them. And then what it is, it gives us an opportunity as a missions team to say, all right, this is what we can plan on. This is how we can budget. This is how we can look to expand what we're doing. And uh, with God's grace, we believe. Now, I do want to confess that in this season, I feel like we have less momentum, but God knows. He's speaking to hearts. We've missed the last two Sundays, and this was supposed to be the final kind of hurrah faith promise. But next week and November 8th, we will talk about faith promises. We'll get these in your hands. And so you don't have to make one of these today. We're not going to twist your arm today or anytime. This is between you and God. But we do want to give you a moment here to say, Lord, what are you doing in this moment? 
And so without further ado, I'm going to ask that you stand. I want you to hold this faith promise card in your hand. And I want you to enjoy this song and let it just wash over you. And let's sing it together. Let's worship together. Ask the Lord, God, what are you doing in this season? How can I participate? And I believe when we ask, the Lord will answer us in Jesus' name. Let's worship the Lord together. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Pastor Bobby is a perfect song to complement the message we give of ourselves. The Lord can use us. He can use every part of us. Joe, when you talk about dying to ourselves so that others can see the light, I never heard it quite like that, that we carry the death of Christ with us so others can live. Church, that's why we exist. That's why you're breathing oxygen right now, to bring glory to the Lord. And one of those ways above and beyond your tithes is doing faith promise giving. We want to invite you in this season to join us. And if you're ready to make a faith promise commitment today, awesome. At, when you leave today, you, you can put it in the bucket at the Connection Center. And we've got a little gift. Uh, there are seven regions of the world that we, that we split our missions giving to. And uh, we have regional directors over each of those areas. And, and uh, we can, if you're interested in serving on the missions team, mark that off on the mission starts here and we would love to integrate you but there's a little gift from each of those areas in this and we will exchange that for a faith promise card just a way to say thank you just a, a practical note I just want to say that when we when you are considering this that the Lord he will provide and he will bless you if there's nothing better than making a faith promise and seeing God work in your life. When you lay down your life, you say, all right, my life is not my own. And I understand that for some, this has been one of the hardest years that you've ever had. But I can also point you to a lot of examples where businesses, individuals are having the best financial year they've ever had. And just like the missions team, we had had some reserves built up and we said, you know what? We need to get this money to work. If you're having one of the best years of your life, it's time to put some of that money to work for God's glory. And I'm saying young and old. Pastor Rachel, I know you do uh, faith promises with kids for BGMC. Uh, we, we have that with our students through Speed the Light. And, we'll, and Pastor Drew, he's in the overflow now, but we do that. It's part of our DNA. And if you love what God is doing here or you've been tuning in online and you love what God's doing here, join us in missions giving above and beyond your tithe. And I promise you, you'll never regret it. We say that missions has been and always will be the key to our future. It's the key to your future. With that, I want to pray a blessing over you. And then after we pray, we'll go ahead and mask up. We'll dismiss from the back to the front and just be patient with us there. And, uh, and then we'll go. Lord, I thank you for these moments. Thank you for speaking to our hearts. Lord, thank you for what you're doing. Lord, you're, you're making a way. Lord, you're, 
you're so good. Lord, I pray that as we listen, that you will speak very clearly. Lord, help us to be obedient. And Lord, I pray as we leave here today, we will acknowledge that we're entering the mission field. And that with that reality, Lord, we need you to go before us, behind us, and all around us. Because mission starts here, right in our hearts, right, in our, right here, Lord. Lead us, guide us. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen and amen. God bless you. We love you. And we'll see you outside. God bless you. Go in the grace of God. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegateway.church.